right. Well, without further ado, I invite you to our kids program. And the first reader that we have today is Morgan Drake. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the rivers, the oceans, the sun, moon, and stars, the trees, the birds, and animals of every kind. Last of all, he created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. These first people were created by God to be in relationship with him in a beautiful garden. Sadly, one day, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, which broke their close relationship with him. And this sin led to consequences, which were one of which was that they had to leave the garden. But God promised that one day a Redeemer would come to restore that relationship. This promised Redeemer would be the salvation for everyone. After God made this promise, people began to wait for this promise to be fulfilled. before the world had become so evil that God decided to destroy all of mankind with a flood, except for one man who remained, righteous and his family. That man's name was Noah. God instructed him to build a giant boat called an ark and fill it with animals God would bring to him. After Noah, his family, and the animals were all safely inside the ark. God closed the door, and it began to rain. It rained and rained for 40 days. And when the water dried up after a year, God made a covenant. A covenant is a promise that God makes with Noah and all of creation to never destroy the world with a flood again. God sealed his covenant by placing a rainbow in the sky so we would always remember his promise. After this, Noah's family had many children and repopulated the earth. A man who also received the covenant from God was born from Noah's family line. His name was Abraham. God made a special covenant with Abraham, which means that God gave him an everlasting promise. God told Abraham the nations 
of Israel would come from his family line. Israel would show others the love relationship between God and mankind, so other nations would want to know God too. God also told Abraham that the promised Redeemer would be born to his family line. for God to fulfill his promise. Their promised son's name was Isaac. When Isaac grew up, he had a son named Jacob, whose name God would change to Israel, which means one who started with God. Then Israel had 12 sons, and one of whom was sold into slavery by his brothers. His name was Joseph. Joseph was taken to Egypt and treated unfairly. However, for God was taken care of Joseph and had a plan. He allowed Joseph t- to rise to the power of, under the king of Egypt called the Pharaoh. During the famine, a time of the food, Joseph's entire family came to get to Egypt to get grain from the from the kids from the king's storehouse. Joseph was the one in charge of food distribution and because God had put him there. Joseph's family survived by keeping his family alive during the famine. God's plan kept the line of the Redeemer alive too. After many years, the Hebrew Israelites became slaves to the Egyptians. The Hebrews cried out to to a redeem, for a redeemer to save them from their hard labor and unfair treatment. Although Moses was chosen by God to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt's slavery, the real redeemer was still to come. The people wandered in the wilderness before entering into the land that God promised them, a land where they could worship God. When the Israelites were out of the wilderness, God made another covenant. The covenant was given to Moses to give to all God's people in order to make them his treasured treasured, uh, possession. He also gave them his laws for how to live their lives. But because the people complained and grumbled, once God freed them from the Egyptians, the 
They spent the next 40 years wandering in the desert. During this time, a new generation grew up with a new rules of false gods like the fathers uh, uh, once did in Egypt. God gave them miraculous food each day called manna, and he uh, physically guided them through the desert in the form of a pillow of cloud and pillow of fire. God called Joshua to be the leader of his new generation and lead them into the promised land. God led his people to conquer the promised land that he had set aside for them. But the Israelites got worried of fighting battles and settled down to raise families. During this time, the Israelites began to forget their relationship with God. And so God raised up other nations to war against them and discipline them. When the people... I think this is your turn now. Wait. When the people cried out for salvation from their enemies, God gave Israel, Israel leaders called judges to help fight for them. The Israelites were faithful to God again for a time, and then they would disobey again. This kept happening over and over again, forgetting God, overtaken by other nations, crying out to God. And in the victory over their enemies through a judge, this time the judges lasted over for 150 years. Again, God, again, God's people cried out for a king because they saw that all the other nations had one. God reminded them that having a kid when king would not be good for them and that he was their king. The people were stubborn and wouldn't listen, so Saul became the first to reign as king. Soon God rejected him because of his pride and disobedience. God anointed David as the second king. David was a humble shepherd boy who loved and worshipped God. His son Solomon became the third king, third and final king of the United Twelve Tribes of Israel. During the reign of Solomon's son, there was rebellion in the land of Israel, and the nation split to the ten tribes in the north, called Israel, and the two tribes in the south, now named Judah. The lineage of the promised Redeemer followed the tribe of Judah in the south.
Israel in the north had only evil kings who led their people into greater sin. Prophets pleaded with them to repent of their sin and follow God's plan for them, but Israel would not obey or repent and was eventually captured by Azra. Although Judah in the north had some good, in the south had good, some good kings, had some good kings and many bad ones too. Prophets began begged with the with them to see what had happened to the brothers and sisters in the north, but they didn't listen. Judah was eventually captured by by the Babylonian Empire because of their disobedience and soon was and the city of Jerusalem, the home of God's people, was completely destroyed. Faith was kept alive in some of the people of Judah, even the ba- in Babylonian. Eventually, Babylonian fell to the Persian Empire, and Esther, a Jewish orphan, became the queen of Persia. God used Esther to save his people from death during captivity. Many years later, one of the kings of Persia paid for a Jewish man named Nehemiah to lead the charge to rebuild the Jerusalem city and its walls. At this point in the Big God story, something strange happened. God was silent. He was still working and moving in the lives of his people, but he chose not to speak through prophet priest, king, or judge. We don't have any biblical record of his words. God's promise is still alive, but it was hidden. Nearly 400 years passed before the opening words in the New Testament. In the first pages of Matthew and Luke, we read that the promise God made in the garden remained throughout the passing of thousands of years. The moment had been promised since the garden had finally come true in a small town called Bethlehem. Jesus was born. The awaited Messiah was here on earth. Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us.
This is what was written by the Apostle Luke. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to the woman Mary. The angel went to her and said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the whole Roman Empire, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph and Mary went up to the town of Nazareth in Ga up from Nazareth to Ga to Gal from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem, the city of David. Mary and Joseph were to be married, and Mary was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time for the baby was to be delivered, and Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available anywhere. Good girl. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. All the way over. All the way. Good. And, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. This will be a sign. You will find the baby wrapped in swollen clothes. Swallowing clothes and lying in a manger. Glory to God, glory to God in the highest.
Jill's skull. You can, you can go to the cradle. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Shepherds, let's go. Let's go and see. Let's go and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Great work. Well, let's thank our kindergarten class for doing that. Let's thank our our grade one to five classes for reading for us and for singing so wonderfully. And uh, let's thank all of the teachers as well for helping and the small group leaders for working with them on that. Uh, well, my name is Brad, and I'm a part of the uh, teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. You know, Ruth Ellen, the thing that I personally appreciated uh, about that particular rendition of the kids' Christmas story is that it sets a little bit of the backstory, gives us a little bit of an understanding, tracing back a little bit through the Old Testament, the history of Jesus' uh, birth. Because so often I think you see... Uh, on a card, you see the picture of the nativity, or you see the inflatable in somebody's yard, uh, or you see an ornament or a decoration on a tree, and it just kind of is just that for us. It's a decoration or an ornament or a snapshot of that moment in time. And we don't often get a chance to look at the bigger picture or the song that the kids sang for us, The Big God Story. I think it's a very appropriate uh, title for us, that written large over thousands of years. I tried to keep up with my timeline. I have a few blanks in it, so just you may have to check it over for me uh, later on and, and see if I got any I, wrong I, I on that one. I give you like a B plus. Do, okay, fair enough. I get some marks for effort on that. But uh, I think the great thing about that is that the story comes to life in a new way when we understand that this is part of God's plan from all of history and what he was working on uh, that Jesus was born that night in Bethlehem, but that there was so much more to the story than just those traditional images that sometimes that we see. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it's great, too, because you not only do you get that sense of, of, of history and recognizing that through thousands of years, this is a, a big story that has continued leading up to the manger scene. But we also know that it continues after that. And that Christmas, we celebrate this moment here with Christ. But we also know that he grew up um, and to live a blameless and perfect life. He, he gathered the 12 disciples with them and he taught them what it meant to, have, to be in the kingdom of God. And he healed the sick, um, raised the dead. He cared for the poor and the unloving. And he was willing to, to love so deeply, to love to the point of death and to allow these people who he had cared for and loved to brutally murder him and kill him on the cross and, um, so that he could become 
our promised redeemer. And um, that's something that brings us hope, knowing that Jesus came not only as a baby, but he grew up to be a man who loved so deeply, loved until it hurt, so that we could be redeemed and that we can be saved and have a relationship with God and be a part of his story. And I think that's something that we've been learning over the past years and it's been significant for me to know is that we are a part of this story. It didn't just end there. It's not just a fairy tale that happened years ago or whatever. It's continuing on and we have a part in it. I think the, the image that's helpful for me is that of a script, writing a script. My aunt uh, is a film and TV producer in Los Angeles and she talks about, when she talks about script, she talks about how important the role of perspective in your script is and what the story's perspective will be. And if you look in your uh, info sheet, on the back of the timeline, uh, with my blank sheets and my blanks in there, uh, there's a question on there, and you can pull that out, and it says, what is your place in God's story? And there's three uh, words that I want to suggest for you to wrestle with that question of perspective. And when it comes to your place in God's story, where do you find yourself, or what perspective might you take? If your story was written, what would be your interaction with God's story. And we're going to suggest three potential perspectives that, that might uh, actually be there and might have historically been written on how you can interact with God's story. So if you take these three words and you put them in different orders, uh, it actually gives quite a different perspective. So the three words are belong, believe, and behave. And the first uh, perspective that you might take or that might have been written is believe, behave, belong. And if you're writing a script and that was the perspective that you took, you might title that script Fundamentalism. And some of you are familiar with that script. And if the script of your life or your perspective on Jesus was written from that perspective, likely you heard or understood that first and foremost, before anything else, you have to get everything right in terms of a series of theological or philosophical propositions, and if you can check all of the boxes off and think to yourself, I think I know all that there is to know, then you could become a part of God's big story. You had to give mental assent to that whole list. And once you did that, then the perspective, if you wrote that story, or understood that story, then you were in. If you could say the right things, if you could kneel at the right times, avoid certain things, and every now and then put some money in the offering, then you felt that you belonged. But there's a problem with that story, and that that problem is that that's not the order that Jesus put those particular environments in. Believe, behave, belong is the wrong order. Yeah, and there's another one um, that I know I personally feel this one often, and is very um, oft a lot of us feel, is that you have to behave first, then believe, and then you'll belong. And I mean, kids, you definitely recognize this one. Like, you constantly are told you got to behave really good and all this kind of stuff. And you go, oh, I messed up again. And as adults, we feel like, oh, wait, if I'm just perfect, then everybody will love me. If I do everything right, then I'll belong. But um, what this can create is it can create people who are false. People who just smile. I'm okay. I'm okay. I really am, but inside you're dying and you know you're messing up and you really just want people to, so you want to belong and you think that first you have to behave, then you can believe 
and then maybe then you'll belong. But we know that that's false too. That's not how Jesus showed us um, how we belong. Is not through that order of, of behaving first, then believing, and then belonging. Yeah, but it's a pretty common perspective. As it I talk is, to people, yeah. I hear people say things like, well, if I can get my, my life organized, then I think I could belong in God's family, or I could come to church, yeah. or I could be a part of something. But the final perspective that the story that might be written, uh, if you reorder those words and put the word belong at, in the front of there, followed by the word believe, and then by the word behave. Because like we read in our Advent reading this story this morning, at the heart of each one of us, we have a deep and profound need to belong. And the story that God is writing has already, God has written you into his story by virtue of the fact that today you're here and he's given you life. God loves you. God desires to be in relationship with you so much that he wrote you into his story already. You're not a mistake. And you being here today is not a mistake. And the story that we've seen today over, if you trace through all of those pictures that were up here, if you heard all of the narratives that the kids were describing for us, that through thousands of years of history, God has been writing his story of love. He's been writing his story of redemption for his fallen creation. But God's starting point for his story is that invitation for you to belong and be a part of his story. God's story, if he writes the script, it's written from a perspective with the whole point of revealing his love to us and restoring relationship with you because God wants you to belong to his family. And, and the great thing is that that story is still being written and that invitation to be a part of the story in a significant way is still there. It says in John 20, verse 31, um, about all these little vignettes, these little parts of the story that we've been seeing, it says, but these are written with one purpose in mind so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. All of these works in history, all of the stories in the Bible and all of the stories of your life is God's story to you to tell you that he loves you and that Jesus is the Savior and he wants you to belong in that story. He created you and gave you life so that you could find your place in his story. It's not a mistake that you're here. It's not a mistake that you were born. There is a meaning to life, and that is found in finding life in Jesus Christ. And that's something that has been amazing to discover with the kids over the past couple years, too, and is an incredible pr privilege to be a part of this redemptive story. So we're going to um, play another couple songs. And the question I have for you today is, where do you find yourself in the story? Because being alive, you are created to be part of it. You might be playing a doubting part. Every story has all these different characters. You could be playing a part of someone who is seeking. You're, or you could be, find yourself in the story of someone who believes but has started, they just don't understand where they are anymore in the story. And yeah, I believe, but I just don't know what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. So really just think about that and ask yourself, where do I fit in this story? And, um, and, and what do I believe about Jesus? Do I believe he is the Messiah? He is the Redeemer? Redeeming meaning paying the price for me. Do I believe that he's um, come to save me? And um, there's, um, I invite you to just write out on that sheet in the back, all those B's, three B's, belief, belong, and behave. Write out what order do you see yourself when you think about 
God and the story of creation and and story of just is there a God? And if there is, what order do you see yourself needing to fill in order to belong in that story? Do you have to behave first and then believe and belong? Do you have to believe first, then behave and belong, or do you feel like you have to belong? And then comes the belief and the, and the behavior. So fill that out and just wrestle through that. And as we sing these next couple of songs, we invite you to, to write those off. And there's some boxes that you can check off um, saying, yes, I believe in this, or I, I don't. And I'm going to pray a quick prayer for us before we sing. And if you feel like this is a story that you belong in, I invite you to pray along with me. If you've never prayed this prayer before, if you never saw yourself as part of this story, I invite you today. Why not? Why not jump into this story and acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior, that all of this history was written for you to know that you belong. You belong here. You belong with this body of Christ. You belong with Jesus, and he has a plan for you. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm in awe of the the works that you've done, the fact that you would take thousands of years to tell me you love me, the fact that you would not belittle the suffering that we have, but come and take it away from us, that you would come and experience it yourself in Jesus, that you would suffer with us to show us that you understand us and you love us and there's something more. Thank you for dying on that cross and coming back to life to give us life. I thank you and I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you want me to be part of this story of redemption, redeeming what's broken. And there's so much that's broken in this world, in my own life, in the lives of many of us here. Jesus, I just ask that you would come today and speak to that brokenness, that you would heal us. We thank you so much for your family, this family here. We pray that it would be a place of healing. Please come restore our lives. We believe in you. Would you be our savior? Would you be our redeemer? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer maybe for the first time, uh, today there's a response sheet and you can leave that uh, in the Welcome Center and just fill that off and leave us your contact info. We would love to walk this journey with you. There's a Bible available at the Welcome Center for you uh, today in the Gospel of Mark, a really easy-to-read translation. Uh, maybe you said, you know what, I've wandered, and today is my day to come back. And as I saw that story lived out again, I want to rededicate my life uh, to God. Just let us know that, and we would love to have a coffee with you. And Pastor Keith or myself would talk with you more about that conversion, that experience that you've had. You want to listen to the words of this song that we sang earlier in the morning, and we'll conclude our time uh, with this. It says, Jesus is the blessed Redeemer. He is the one who saves. He is the rescue for sinners. And if you made a decision today, I want you to come and find me and talk to me about it. I want you to find uh, members of our prayer team, Pastor Keith or Dave and Jackie Pascoe. And uh, if we want to pray with you in any way, if there's anything that you're wrestling with this Christmas, any challenges that you have that you want to talk to somebody about, something you want to celebrate with somebody, we'd be happy to do that with you as the team sings and leads us in this time of response. So why don't you stand with me and we'll sing as we conclude our time together this morning.